Out of the 94 Best Picture winners, only one will be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. The episode gets started in just a second. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast from Backlog Banter, where us four Backlog boys look at every single Best Picture winner in random order and try to rank them all against each other on a great big list of the best pictures. It's The Quest for the Bestest. My name is Timo, of course, joined by Tucker, Tanner, and Abram. We're all here for a very special episode. We are talking about the 2000 movie Gladiator, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix and some other names that you maybe have heard of, you maybe not have. I want to talk about this film. I just watched it. I finished it a couple seconds before we started recording. And then, (laughs) you know, I've got... It's all right here. It's all stored in my brain. I think we're going to have, you know, today we're entering the gladiatorial arena, not in blood sport, but in mind sport. We're going to compete with our ability to debate and deliberate the felts and the merits of this film if you think there are either of those, which we shall see. But after a little most bit of movies have one or the other. <laughs> one or the other, yes. Most, uh, well, most movies have both, actually. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, enough of that tomfoolery. Yeah. Last week, we talked about a film that none of us liked very much, but we had a great time discussing. It was Around the World in 80 Days from 1956. We gave it an average score of 2.3. That's pretty dang low. <laughs> So it put it at the number 70th spot on our list. If you want to find out exactly why we thought that movie sucked so much, go check out last (laughs) week's review. It's it'll it'll surely put a grin on your face and a chuckle in your belly. Um, I had a great time talking about that film, but maybe we'll have a better time with this one because I think maybe the the, the faults v. merits category weighs out a little bit better. We'll see after after. We get to hear a featured comment because the Quest commenters have returned. They're not slacking off this week. Thank God. They're not. No, of course, we've got the return of both John Tour and Dan's. But we're going to be focusing on Dan's comment this week because it's a little bit longer. And I think a little more interesting. Sorry, John Tour. Um, uh, Dan says, I also had not seen On the Waterfront. Oh, well. He's commenting about, <laughs> he's like, all right, it's all a thing. We'll figure it out. All right, we're just going to go through this. I also had not seen On the Waterfront. Not a huge fan of mafia, mob and mafia and boxing. I have seen Around the World in 80 Days three times. The first, back in the 70s, I thought it was good. The second time, in the 90s, it was just okay. The third time, several years ago, I thought it was awful for all the reasons you discussed. There is one issue that none of you quite brought up. In the early, in the early mid-50s, television was pulling huge amount of people going to the movies so hollywood began producing super widescreen spectaculars that you just could not see on the home little screen while many of these movies were actually good movies this one was just a travelogue that's why there are long lingering shots of scenery the issue you mentioned about people having access to video of world locations also helped propel this to huge success i think this is one of the many and certainly one of the biggest films to age extremely poorly absolutely agree on all of that (laughs) Not a controversial like comment at all. No. no. Aged like milk. Uh, yeah. Yes. Milk in the hot southern heat over a span of a couple months, perhaps. Mm. That's what I have in this jug uh, right uh, here. About 80 days, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, very nice. Very, very nice. nice. Okay, well, let's put that film good riddance. Let's get rid of that thing. We're never going to talk about it again. Let's talk about Gladiator instead. What did you guys think? It's a Ridley Scott movie. We got some Ridley Scott heads in-house here. Um, 
I'm looking at a man with a poster up there of a Ridley Scott movie. Oh yeah, that's a great point. Sure. Fantastic point. Who wants to go first and uh, and enter the arena? I'll go first. Okay. I think this movie is awesome. I think Gladiator is fantastic. I hadn't seen it before. Um, this to me kind of falls into the heat category of movies I feel like I should have just seen for my own personal enjoyment off show. You know, I I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's pretty damn up there i i was really impressed by the scope of the film i was really impressed by the emotion they got out of the narrative which i didn't quite expect i think that russell crowe v joaquin phoenix is fantastic to watch play out and when you get into those action sequences god damn really scott when he's not doing the editing that makes me dizzy like at the beginning of the film as i like to talk about mm. when we're just watching dudes in, in, a, in a gladiator gladiatorial arena it's so you you feel it they're really smart about what they show and how visceral the violence is and how they cut and move. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of weight to the film, and I think that that contrasts nicely against the more quieter, talky dialogue sequences as we're kind of weaseling about in the in the in the hallways of Rome, figuring out the politics of the time. I think it could handle that element a little bit stronger, but nonetheless, I think that as a as an experience, the experience of Gladiator is, I think, phenomenal. Okay. Who dares and challenge Abram? I'll I'll challenge him a little bit on this because I agree. I think Gladiator is a very good movie. Um, I think that it is an epic on a surprisingly personal scale. Uh, there's not the hundreds and thousands of characters that we're used to. And of course, there's lots of extras, people in the background. But focusing on just a, a small handful of characters for a two and a half plus hour movie, I think gives it a, a interesting balance between scope and personal uh, experience. But on that note, I think that it is maybe a little too simple for my liking. I, I think that it is a very interesting narrative, but it's a it's a pretty basic revenge narrative. It's almost cartoonish in how good versus evil it is, and how, in my opinion, a lot of the characters come off as as not one note, but close to it. And so, because of that, I never felt like I was able to get completely emotionally invested in it because I didn't feel like I don't really feel like these are real people. I feel I feel like they're amalgamations of ideas of characters um and because of that i enjoyed it for its spectacle and the production value and its epic quality and the acting but when it comes to the characters i i really don't know if there's much to grab onto and also with thematics i think it's a little bit weak um but still overall abram's right the experience of gladiator is what it is going for it is those action sequences it is the scope it is the production design and that's where it rocks everyone's socks off so i I still do think this is a very good movie on the whole, but I think that there's certainly stuff that holds it back from greatness. Hmm. Okay. Tanner, do you want to go or do you want to toss the ball over to me? I'll, t- I'll toss the, uh, the, the the sword in your direction. Oh. oh, there you go. The discus. That's good, too. Um, no discus, don't disc guy in this movie. <laughs> Great no. point. Yeah. I mean, one for the fault category. Um, yep. Sorry. We're going we're, we're gonna to roll with the, the <laughs> that, the merits and faults the whole time. No. Um, I, I'm in the same boat as both of you guys. I like this movie. I think the experience, I just like, yeah, I think it is a badass movie with some heart to it. The film opened, and that first battle sequence, as dizzying as it is, I was like, oh, I, I'm in for a treat for this, because this is awesome. I mean, there's like a little, not a lot of other ways to describe it. Just like, it, it's like, this is how you start a movie. And as soon as that rolled in and we we start building their characters and I find myself really feeling for Russell Crowe and wanting to see him succeed and following along. And while I sort of agree, Tucker, that yeah, it's a little simplistic in our thematic material, I think our characters are pretty strong. And because we have these two dueling figures that are very well acted, that we get to see a lot of 
not only just their you know battle between each other but sort of their reasonings for why they they think how they think and believe what they do all kind of centering around marcus aurelius you know your philosopher emperor stoic king um I enjoyed it a lot. The battle sequence is so much fun. I really felt like I was sitting in the Coliseum stands being like, yeah, kill, kill, you know, watching. The, and I was like, hmm, is this film actually trying to say something about my thirst for blood sport? Perhaps. It made me feel like I was there watching it in real life. And I, I was like, I was, I just kept thinking back to Ben-Hur. And I was like, this is a modern Ben-Hur with all, all that biblical, you know, nonsense, basically. Mm -hmm. And I, that's a plus in my category. A little bit. I think it's okay in Ben-Hur. I think it works fine in that movie. But this one, man, I was just really in on the whole Roman aspect. I feel like we don't get a ton of movies that that are, are this well done and set in that time, or at least re receive the accolades that a Best Picture winner does. So I enjoyed it. It was a great time. Yeah, only about 90 or so movies have received that level back. Yeah. <laughs> That's an approximation. The audience, the audience will know. They, they would have read it the, at the beginning of the episode, if they're watching on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Gladiator, meh. I, I mean, honestly, I, I I don't know what it is about Gladiator, but it just didn't grab me. I don't really know what to. I I I won't be saying any overtly negative things in this review, but I feel like I won't be saying th anything overtly positive either. It just kind of just kind of struck me at a like a lukewarm sort of temperature while I was watching this movie. It's you know, I, I think Russell Crowe is fine. He's not outstanding or anything. I think the the uh, performance wise, I think the standout here is Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um. But even if we're looking at things like production design and stuff like that, you know, we're in the year we're in the year 2000. We're in the 21st century, baby. And I was sitting there like, OK, yeah, I can I can kind of see where, where they're doing some things. You know, they're they're pulling out some stops here, but it's nothing that that like wowed me. Hmm. And in some in some cases, like uh, they, there was a very interesting creative decision they took here with using like. Uh, using like the establishing shots of Rome and things like that. Uh, they, they, they were very odd. They were very like grayscale, uh, very grayscale shots of Rome. There was, wasn't a lot of color there. Um, and they, they weren't like, you know, realistic, you know, recreations of the city at the time. It was sort of like this, like an artist rendering almost. Um, and that just really didn't work for me either. Yeah, I don't I mean, um, even like the action sequences, I felt, you know, Abram, you you mentioned that what the scene at the beginning felt a little jarring and whip panty and uh, what's going on. I felt that for a lot of the action sequences. Um, and it, I have a note in my in my notes on my phone that says the action sequences are pretty good when I can tell what's going on, which is not super often. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to talk about these things as we go through them. But uh, as it stands right now, just very, very middling on Gladiator for me. Hmm. OK, well, should we begin with the beginning, I guess? Or where do you guys want to start on this one? Yeah, I mean, might as well. If we use that as a transition from what works about the action sequences and what doesn't, I, I think that what Abram, I think he, you might have messaged me something about about slow-mo last night. I'm like. I haven't seen the movie yet. I cannot comment. Mm. <laughs> but uh, the first action sequence, I think, is pretty cool in terms of scope, um, in terms of establishing the tone of Maximus's abilities to be a commander. Um, but you get the fight, and it's 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 pretty cutty and pretty whippy. And then you get the aftermath of the fight, and it's just this slow motion for, like, a minute and a half. And I'm like, this is doing nothing for me. And, and, and it, I, I think it took a little, little bit of the power out of that sequence uh, to, to start off the movie. 
Yeah. It's also our fa- our least favorite kind of slow mo, which is lowered frame rate slow mo yeah. instead of high frame rate slow mo. That's so. how you know you're watching a movie made in its sp- time span of like 1993 to 2003. That that was those ten <laughs> years was the time when that was the all the whole hit thing to do. I mean, it, it's in Lord of the Rings too. That's when I think about it. Um, I don't know. It's a sign of the time, I guess, from filmmaking. The first scene, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I was just I was just I was drawn in by the spectacle. I think that the spectacle of setting it all up and you get all these guys chanting and you know the score is really pounding and you have this like very very incredibly well done production design and you know I can't tell I, I even I mean in other scenes I could tell where the the CGI stops and the live action begins, but this first yeah. one I really it was really difficult for me and I thought that while it was a little tough to feel what's going on, I think that. Oh, the chaos of battle, you know, is a, is a, could be an explanation for it. Although I would probably prefer clarity that communicates chaos just through intensity of action rather than me being like, I'm a little hard to follow. Because sometimes the cuts would have some, someone would do something and then you'd see something like the cut would on, on all the impacts. And that is at times, I don't know, choreography, if, if your choreography is really good and you really trust your choreography, you really don't want to be cutting on all the impacts and all like the killing basically because it takes the weight away of all those good gory bloody moments which the film does have plenty of them mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I i when i started the film i thought i was gonna have to like fast forward through these action sequences or something because it literally was making me dizzy um and, and i think it's interesting how that style appears again in the film but never to the extent that it does yeah. in that first yeah, in that first sequence not. and as a result it just it kind of feels out of place and i i'm i don't really think that there's a lot of ground to stand on to be like oh you know, like thematically and narratively it makes sense that a, he's got a different perception of battle when he's out in the field no it kind of feels like ridley scott and the editor were kind of just like screwing around and that's what they came up with um <laughs> and to me that wasn't super effective but nonetheless i think that opening sequence still kind of communicates a lot about this film that really does work for me the it communicates very early on um, how charismatic Russell Crowe is talking to talking to his his men on the horseback. Like if you're riding alone, and you start to see the the you know the nice green fields. You're already in Elysium, right? You're dead. You know. I, you know. I, I think it establishes that camaraderie early. We see this sort of we see the violence in him, but but this the ways he can temper it. Like I love that moment when he he gets knocked off the horse. And he's he's fighting. He's in the mud, and then he goes to grab somebody's shoulder to turn around and like slit their throat. It's one of his, his guys. And he's like, he like smiles at him and the camera cuts, you know, I I think there's cool moments like that, that sort of characterize him through battle, which I like a lot. And I think it nicely sets up sort of very quickly who he is, why he is revered as Maximus. And so the sort of fallout from that works for me. It really is just a matter of what they did in that editing booth is nauseating. I think Mm -hmm. the, uh, by the way, the editor of uh, Morbius, Oh, that's not really? a joke. I just checked his filmography. Oh, he's, oh, he did some actually, other movies. That that, that that's just funny. <laughs> that's very funny. That's very funny. Um, yeah, I mean, Abram, you talked a little bit about uh, about Russell Crowe there, and I think you know he's you know he he is our our titular gladiator. He says, "My name is Gladiator" nice. in this film, uh, but in fact, his name is Maximus. But uh, you know, Russell Crowe as this character of the Roman general Maximus. I think I, I sort of had a revelation about my perspective on Russell Crowe as an actor while watching this film, because we also saw him in A Beautiful Mind, 
And uh, while that performance is, I'll say, better than I than I feel his performance as Maximus is, um, I think that for me, I just prefer Russell Crowe when he's leaning into this. He's a big burly guy who likes palling around with dudes. Like that's my that those are my favorite parts of this movie. Like when he's um when he's hanging out with uh Juba or and stuff like that. And he, and he makes a little joke about like I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to what I, what I would say to my wife and stuff yeah, like that. That's none of your I business. I like him like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why my favorite Russell Crowe performance is The Nice Guys. Great and, movie. And, and, you know. Yeah, exactly. But as when he's you know going a bit more stock standard of I'm I'm the I'm the dramatic lead here and I've lost my wife and child and you know, I'm, I'm hell bent on revenge. I'm just sort of disinterested. And quite frankly, I think he's, I I'd say he's bordering on uncharismatic in this film for mm. most of it. Uh, except in those, those, those like few key uh, moments where I, that I said earlier, but yeah, I mean like, like building this sort of this like friendship or father son relationship between him and Marcus Aurelius. I'm like, yeah, I uh, you know this sort of the past relationship tension between him and Lucilla. I'm like, yeah, even yeah. even like the antagonistic relationship between him and Commodus, I've, I felt a little bit lacking. So sorry, Rusty, we'll do more comedies, I guess. Well, I think that's interesting because I agree with you, but I don't think it's because of his performance. I think he is bringing mm. some some good dramatic way. I don't I, I prefer his performance in A Beautiful Mind Inn. And also in the nice guys, I also mm-hmm. both better movies than this. Um, but I think it, it for me it comes to the writing. When I when I when I mm. opened my thing by saying, "Hey, these these characters feel a little bit simplistic, and and the uh, narrative feels lacking in nuance." That's why I don't think I get a lot of weight out of these relationships. His past with Lucilla is there, and they kiss, and I'm like, "Yeah, I saw that coming." And his 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 antagonistic relationship with Commodus is there because they're the ultimate good and ultimate evil and mm-hmm. no nuance really in between them so for me it comes down to the writing of the plot and the characters that uh that ends up with the characters not feeling like they're um emotionally resonant for me i mean not because of the performance because i think everyone's doing the best with what they're given right hmm. yeah i mean hmm. the way i the way i think about it is that like this it is i think russell crowe is very good in the action sequences i mean he is really convincing to me that he is swinging the sword around and an expert sword fighter and really able to just kill anyone he wants to um yep. and the, the, he's, he's so good at fighting it's insane <laughs> <laughs> well that, that that's the australia no sorry he's not australian he's new, he's from new zealand but that's the that's the uh, that's that new zealand aussie blood in him they're all gladiators well, they're 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 all they're all they're killing scrappy, crocodiles you know? and things like they're that. Right. Let's not they're stereotype. Folk. No, they're all they all kill crocodiles. All, they all of them. all of them do that. Yeah, but I think Sorry that when we get into the talky moments, I mean, it's I don't know. I think about like Lemis in. I think about Russell Crowe in Lemis. I mean, oh, yeah. If, yeah. If Russell Crowe's strong suit, I don't think, is being that you know very heady and super emotionally resonant character but in the couple of moments where it matters like when his family dies and we get to see him you know having all the spittle and snot and as he like kisses the mm-hmm. wife's yeah charred feet um it's a good moment yeah maybe, I, maybe the most powerful emotional moment in the film i would say mm-hmm. and then i think that it you know he embodies this character archetype of just like the really like kind of closed off and very just like very very driven warrior type that is i feel like you see show up in these antiquity stories 
Uh, and so for me, it's like Russell Crowe is striking at his at the hardest when he's doing battle and like when he has those couple comedic moments when he's chumming around with the other the other gladiators. But like those, you know, him, he doesn't really have a ton of confrontations with Joaquin Phoenix. He, do, he only has a couple. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that when they're at a they're distance, they're always talking about each other. <laughs> yeah, they are. They, they are. are always, they're living in the, each other's heads rent free. Yes. Even though the emperor does not have to pay rent. Um, truly. Yeah. The, the, I think when there, the, there's those distance scenes in the gladiator arena where their, their actions are really speaking a lot louder than the words do. And I really like those moments as to just feel what is happening and to be like, Oh, he's turned, he's turned my back on me. And those elements are kind of where Russell Crowe's performance stands out the most to me. I think it's good. It works for his character in my mind. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah i'm sure he probably delivered dialogue in that two and a half hours right maybe but i don't care i don't remember the way way i think about it is like this is a physical performance that's really what matters and Hmm. to me he sells it right you know timo i totally agree with you unless it was tanner or tucker who said it then i agree with them instead when when he's in the arena and he's fighting you, you 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 believe it right and that's what is important to the character of 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 maximus I mean, he is not involved in the politics. He doesn't care. Really, at best, he's like a pawn for other people's interests, whether it's like the the ringleader who wants to get back into Rome. And he's like, this guy can kill a lot of dudes. He's going to get me back in the Colosseum. Or it's, um, is his name Gracchus? Who wants to like, yeah. You know, it's, he's, he's like an, he's like an object to those people around him. And so I don't, I don't really care because he works he he fits the little the little little maximus shaped puzzle piece hole in the larger puzzle <laughs> of gladiator he slots mm. in perfectly because i yeah, do think he hits those, shaped <laughs> he fits those few emotional beats quite well i like i, I like i like the foot sequence i think is quite effective <laughs> but i think whatever's whole, calling it <laughs> what i need what i needed maximus to do in this movie was to look big and mm. to for you to feel him, his presence on screen. And I think you always feel his presence on screen. Yeah, Whether absolutely. he's dressed up in the big animal fur and he's marching around as a general, or he's just this, like, in shape but sullen and disinterested slave, right? I think he he plays these different archetypes very nicely. And then when he's yelling, oh, you're not entertaining, he's cutting dudes' heads off, like, He's yelling orders as they're making like like the like the phanalax of shields there and the like it, mm. it works for me. It That's works. what he needs to do. Who cares? Yeah. He, this this is a movie that understands that it's not here to be a like a deep political discussion of the tensions in Rome or mm-hmm. even really the personal struggle of of Maximus as much as it's about telling this narrative about this one moment in Roman history when this guy had a goddamn mission, right? And, and I yeah. think that every piece of the puzzle in this film is slotted into that goal. It's about the spectacle. And I think he serves his facet of the spectacle very nicely. Sure. I I agree. I think that is obviously his in, in, his intention and the role of that character in terms of where his personality, the energy is going towards mostly. But I would have to push back a little bit because I think this movie is way more talky and, uh, and about those political and personal relationships than frankly i expected and i thought there would be more fighting and more and more gladiatorial sequences which of course there are a number i think there are plenty there's enough i'm not Mm -hmm. i'm not not saying i needed too much more 
But a, a lot of this movie, I think a surprisingly large amount of this movie, is uh, talking sequences, is these characters talking about their past or why they're doing this, why they're doing that, the political uh, aspirations of not, not only uh, Commodus in the way that he wants to get rid of the Senate, but then all the senators who don't want that, and then some of them uh, kind of maybe do, but then uh, also Maximus, I think, is a much bigger um, political force than, than maybe you were letting on in terms of he has his goal. He's Yes, he's working for uh, the late Caesar, but he is driven to take down Commodus and be involved with the Senate and make sure that the messages are being delivered. He's he's much more of a focused force than than just a burly force. And I think that in those moments of him trying to deliver lines about political insurrection and stuff like that, his, his character doesn't feel particularly nuanced. I'm like, he's the guy out for revenge. Yup, that's it. And I think, but it, that simplicity is at odds with, I think, the complexity of the role. Like, he's he's the linchpin for all of these political and, and interpersonal things. But then he's a little too simple to hold that all together, I think. I have a, I have, uh, well, two bits of trivia about uh, uh, that pertain to things we were talking about, and I'll start with the one that that pertains a bit more to this, uh, the this conversation around Russell Crowe's performance at, versus the writing, uh, and this is pretty interesting and sort of leans into um, a thing that was known about Russell Crowe in this era of Hollywood, and I don't think isn't much of an issue anymore. But Russell Crowe, you know, we talk about we talk about this and we talk about a beautiful mind. He was the it, he was an it guy in Hollywood for a while. Um, and he certainly let it go to his head uh, because there's a there, apparently Russell Crowe was continually unhappy with the screenplay and he rewrote much of it to suit his own ends. Mm. He would fr- he would frequently walk off set if he didn't get his way. The famous line, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. He initially refused to say, telling screenwriter William Nicholson, your lines are garbage. And I'm the but I'm the greatest actor in the world and I can make even garbage sound good. He said the speech. He said the speech anyway because he was unable to ad lib anything better. Uh, and Nicholson said, in his defense, my lines probably were garbage. Interesting. So hmm. yeah, just a, a writer who has very little confidence in his script apparently. Um, and Abram, to your point about Russell Crowe just being, you know, ha- having the physicality, uh, he had apparently he dropped forty pounds uh, after shooting the film The Insider, uh, just months before starting filming this, uh, and apparently. He lost it all, according to him, just by doing normal work on his Australian farm. So what a guy! What a guy! Yeah, fighting those crocodiles. Yeah, wrangling crocodiles. No, that's New yeah, Zealand. The, the the whole line about like the, the whole line about him being unhappy with the script and being like, "I'm the greatest actor in the world. I can make these trash lines sound amazing." Is quite telling. I feel. Mm. Hmm. I mean, I think he sells it. I think it's like he sells it to me when I'm watching the film. I like. I believe what he's saying, like not most of the time, all the time. So, I mean, I kind of agree with Abram. The film is about him being the gladiator um, and the political stuff is our B plot that is converges to create the climax. But ultimately, I am invested in him fighting dudes in the arena or on the battlefield. That's what I really care about. Yeah, Yeah. where I come down on it is like, this to me is just like a, it's like as big of a scale of a revenge movie as you could possibly make, right? And where I think the politics end up feeling wibbly wobbly, pardon my language, is when they don't un, like immediately and directly feed back into the interpersonal conflict, which I think is at the heart of the movie and when the political stuff ends up feeling the best. Like, I love the scene of, um, I keep wanting to say Javier Bardem, but it's not who's in the fucking Joaquin, movie. Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix has Lucius and he's like, 
He's like, mm. nah, and like, and this is what happened. Let me, next time we sit down, my good nephew, I'm going to tell you the story about how the closest people to this emperor betrayed him, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And and the I think the plot serves itself best when like the problems with Rome are just sort of like a vehicle to make um, Joaquin Phoenix nervous or to motivate getting Russell Crowe out of, out of slave jail or whatever he's in, right? It really, that I think if the movie falters anywhere, is that it tries to extrapolate too much out into like these conversations about what's the deal with people wanting to watch the blood sport, or what's the deal with the like senators, like like how do we feel about representative democracy? Like, yeah, that's when it gets to be too much. I think when 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 everything funnels back into this just being a huge, cool, well produced, well acted, well executed revenge movie, I think it's fantastic. When we start yep. to get a little complicated, that's when I think we're we're losing the plot of the plot. Yeah, I mean the the thematic stuff that you that you were alluding to there, the stuff about like democracy and um, you know, uh, I, the, the good versus evil sort of things. Um, I'm sure there's some sort of reading out there. You know, this came out in 2000, so there could be some Bush era politics in there with the with the sort of uh, the democracy uh, thing uh, thematics in the in there as well. Um, I also think this film, it will, all of this is really muddy, I think, as well. I think the film is trying to say something about, like, mass appeal and how the masses can be lulled into sort of this this state of um, passivity uh, by, like, blood sport or, you know, crude entertainment and stuff like that, and how they will relinquish their rights, uh, you know, their, their democratic voice. But ultimately, that doesn't go anywhere, and I think it's muddy from the very beginning. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I can't give I can't give this film any any merits uh, on that point on, on any themes here. Yeah. Well, it's not really like the senators in this period of Roman history were representing the people whatsoever. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the film kind <laughs> of makes a point of saying the SPQR baby. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about hey, you know, we're we're from the people, and then he's like, Nah, no, you're not. You guys, you guys just sit around, sip wine, and have sex with women probably mm-hmm. yeah should we talk oh. about joaquin phoenix if we are going to dive Let's into the joaquin phoenix because he is he is not a shining bright light in this film because he is very dark and brooding mm. you know uh i don't he's know black what's the, yeah he's a black light he's a so black light well i'm like what's the opposite of a light i don't know an off yeah. uh, um, an off light yeah <laughs> joaquin phoenix is the easiest thumbs up for me in this movie he is he is probably when i think back on this movie in a month two months six months whatever he'll be like i'll be like joaquin phoenix was very good in that movie and that that that's that, what that that's, that's what i can really say i love the sort of cowardless cowardliness and weaseliness that he conveys in this he's just a real creepo who wants to have sex with his sister and is like taking his nephew hostage to sort of you know entrap her in, in his, his sort of web here um but he's also like cowardly and he can't run rome like i think one of my favorite moments is the first time that he uh knows that uh maximus is the is the gladiator that he that he's been cheering on this whole time he like is a he sort of he like gives in to the crowd he, like he can't stand his ground against the people uh and is like and, and lets him live I think that's a great moment. You can you can kind of see this like this fear on his face, this inability to wrangle the crowd and stand his ground and things like that. And I think he has that multiple times in the film. Here's yeah, what yeah. I, I mean, say. he definitely. 
Oh, go ahead, Abram. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, quest. Yeah, I. Yeah. Javier Bardem is great in this movie. <laughs> mm, okay, that's all I'm all saying. Right. No, no. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix really works for me because we we were talking before Tucker. You were saying about how like he, like it just feels like we got characters who are really good and then really bad, and there's no nuance. Mm-hmm. But I happen to like movies where the characters are either really good. <laughs> I can't reach it. Or really bad. Uh-huh. Audio listeners, yeah. he's pointing at Leia. a Star Wars Leia poster. Is really bad. <laughs> I I um. I don't think there's anything wrong with cinema of reassurance. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having the good and the evil and them battle it out, right? Yeah. And especially when the sort of archetypes of good and evil are masked under really great performances. I think on the side of Russell Crowe, it's the physical. On the side of Joaquin Phoenix, it's, it's, the, it's the intellectual, it's the emotional. He gives such a convincing performance that I don't really need to go any deeper into his motivations or find some kind of nuance in his character because... He just sort of is, he's just, he's like, he's like a good kind of charisma vacuum. Like he fucking sucks it all towards himself. Right. And, sure. I, and I think that's, that's compelling watching like just his face twitch or watching his body language as, as you know, he's seeing the Carthage battle unfold and you know, everybody in there is supposed to be slaughtered. Right. Yeah. And you can just see him getting a little bit madder, a little bit madder. And these moments he has, I love the moment when he kills Marcus Aurelius. And I think that's also a really well edited scene because you, it's like a will they, won't they for a moment. Is he actually going to mm-hmm. kill him right here? Because it lingers. And his expression there and the ways that he, in a, in a Loki-esque manner, talking about probably the film that inspired Gladiator, the Avengers, wa- watching <laughs> watching him, like, you know, you know, have this come-to-Jesus moment with his dad. I'm like, oh, my God, I've been just trying to live up to your expectation. But really, I just want to get you close enough to smother you in my, in my big shirt, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think he sells that so well. But that's what the movie is to me. It's it, I, I don't see a, a good archetype and evil archetype. I see these two really compelling actors going at each other with different appeals. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. That is what the movie is, and that is what it's going for. I think that for me, watching a film like this and knowing that in cultural consciousness, this is one of Scott's best movies. Obviously, it did win Best Picture. It's one of the, the classic early 2000s films. I, I think I honestly just expected there to be more nuances to these characters. So for the entire duration of the long duration of the movie, I was waiting for the thematics and the character motivations to flip on a dime back. Oh, that's why he's doing this. That's why they're defending this. That's why this is all happening. And while there are touches of that, I really feel like it feels like something's missing. I, mean, I love these moments, like when Maximus reveals his identity. I think that might be the highlight of the movie to me. That twist moment that, frankly, I didn't think would come for another 30 minutes into the film and he takes off the helmet. He's like, I am Maximus and I, I was a leader of these troops and I I followed your father and all that. I'm like, oh shit, okay. That, that's, some, that's some personal exciting moments. But his performance makes the, I think you're right, holds up the otherwise pretty simplistic uh, material that he has to work with. But I also do think that he's such a compelling, uh, such a compelling actor and the performance is so compelling that I wish there was more thematics and character nuance underneath that so that I could feel a little bit weird about their, uh, in a good way, about their conflict, about the way, why he's doing this other than my daddy didn't love me. Like there's a lot that falls into this movie of revenge, like a jealousy. And those are the driving factors in otherwise a, a very well-made and well-acted film. I think that a stronger script and stronger thematics it really would have allowed it to be more emotional for me. I, I wish that I was super emotionally invested in the politics of Rome and 
the success of this guy and the downfall of 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 Commodus. But unfortunately, because I, I felt like, yeah, I, I can see exactly where this is going. It, it, he's going to die. There's going to be the uprising, yada, yada, yada. It kind of felt like I, I, I had no real reason to be invested in the moment because I could see where it was going from a mile away. Hmm. hmm. I think that be- just because the characters like tell you why they are doing what they're doing doesn't like invalidate those reasonings. Just because you know Commodus is like like he he says it like you didn't you didn't love me enough and that's why I, like I'm gonna be evil now and then that you know that's why Maximus he said he's like well you you killed my family and you exiled me. I think th- those even even though they can be simplistic, they drive the narrative. In, in a way they, they they push it forward nonetheless even if they are just like you know kind of their little blocks of why they are like they are if you were to i don't know fill out a questionnaire every i think everyone at the end of the movie could be like could do the character motivations and sometimes we get movies where that shit is not clear at all and that mm-hmm. is it, it it is you know it is maybe nuanced but it is also maybe convoluted and difficult to really decipher unless you're really gonna sit there and like think about it and for a film that has like got so much battle scenes got so much action and has all of this element of spectacle i think like having it be a little bit more simplistic makes it easier to digest and easier to watch because i'm like oh his dad didn't love him enough okay and that's why he's gonna go you know be be try to be the emperor and do things his way and like show that he is he really is powerful and he really can do it even when you know he is you know Joaquin's Phoenix character is a total coward and wants to just get rid of everyone who stands in his way just by his inherited mm. power. I, mm. you know, I, th- I I see where you're coming from, but it it isn't as big of an issue to me as I think it is for you guys. Sure, yeah, yeah, and and I think that's definitely fair. I think the reason why it weighs so heavily on me and why uh, something that Abram was mentioning earlier, the fact that the movie does try to branch into these thematics, but absolutely does not go all the way with any of them like there are scenes of senators talking you know every 20 minutes or so and i'm like oh where's this leading Eh, nowhere feels kind of like fluff feels like kind of like yeah we gotta have some roman politics around here and the the fact that so many of those scenes felt like fluff and felt like they were reaching for something that was never grabbed onto is why i'm like okay i I feel like there was an intent here that they never fully came full circle on yeah uh tucker i to that point i was just looking through my notes and i have i have written down the line the beating heart of Rome isn't the marble of the Senate. It's the sand of the Colosseum, which line. is about, you know, which is a great line and sort of alludes to that sort of theme that never comes to fruition like that, that I was kind of talking about. But I also have two bits of a Joaquin Phoenix trivia, uh, some more some more interesting on set stories. Uh, it, it, I, I know we always, <sighs> we always like those around here. So, yeah, uh, well, actually, I'll do the short one bit first. Um, do you guys remember the bit? Where you know he's towards the end, you know things are falling out of out of sorts uh, with with uh, Commodus's whole plan, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix apparently ad libbed uh, the scream of the line, "Am I not merciful?" Uh, Connie Nielsen uh, wasn't expecting it, and her frightened reaction is is genuine in that scene. Okay, yeah. but uh, the onset story is quite interesting. Uh, because oh, so what Joaquin Phoenix has been quite open and honest uh, in recent years. I don't know about you know around this time, but in recent years about his anxiety and how that impacts you know his his acting and also his you know appearances in public and stuff like that. But apparently, going to this film, Joaquin Phoenix was incredibly nervous on set, uh, so much so that he asked Russell Crowe to rough him up before their big scene together to to psych him up a little bit, get him in the moment. Uh, and Russell Crowe was apparently at a loss with this. 
Uh, he went to Richard Harris, and apparently Russell Crowe and Richard Harris became very good friends over the course of uh, the, the filming of this film. Uh, so Crowe goes to Harris, and sh- should I try to do a, a New Zealand or Australian accent here? Yes. <clears throat> of course. Always. Oh, what are we going to do here, Skid? He's been asking me to abuse him before takes. Uh, and Harris replied, uh, let's get him pissed. Over the course of the next several hours and several pints of Guinness, Crow and Harris relax their co-star. So that's a little bit of bit of fun. Well, <laughs> they just went out, to, just going out to a bar with Russell Crowe, Richard Harris, and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, you, sounds like a setup for a joke of sorts. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you, you imagine just walking into your local haunt and you see those fellows sitting at the bar and you're like, "Duh." Yeah. Uh, speaking of Richard Harris, though, this film has quite the stacked like supporting cast. I mean, you you have some some of the most famous, you know, like of this era, British actors of stage and screen, Oliver Reed, Richard Harris, Derek Jacoby, and I'll say it all pretty underutilized. All of them not really living up to the, the potential that they, that, you know, they have in their, in their, in their previous acting careers. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It seems strange to me to get, you know, to get these, like the creme de la creme of British actors and then not give them a whole lot to do. Like, Richard Harris is good as Marcus Aurelius, but he's not like a oh my god, this is Richard Harris. He's he's one of the the greatest British actors of all time. Mm, yeah, that's just another thing I had is that hmm. you, we have these fantastic actors, but we don't really do a lot with them. To me, they just kind of fit into their characters. They just everyone just embodies who they are playing very well. And I never, you know, even though I like am looking and I'm like, yeah, it's Russell Crowe and yeah, it's Joaquin Phoenix. I, while I'm watching the film, that like, I'm like it's maximus and it's whatever is the other guy's name is i i'm i'm not as i'm not as good with late latin names latent names as old mm-hmm. tucker is over <laughs> here um mm-hmm. but they, that's my like seven years of taking latin yeah <laughs> which by the way i've forgotten basically all of it so don't fucking ask me <laughs> good. About all right, it. Good. <laughs> the, 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 they are just it's immersive they are the characters they are i am like it is marcus aurelius yes that's right and you do have um what's uh russell crowe's friends who's also the slave uh his name oh, juba. proximo juba oh, oh juba sorry yeah juba and proximo both of those i okay. think that it just to me they just every i just buy into that they're they are who the film says they are and i think that their acting supports that and it ultimately is about you know russell crowe v uh joaquin phoenix and that the supporting yeah, yeah. cast is there to support that dynamic um, speaking of Proximo, there uh, was a scene in the original script where uh, Commodus forced Maximus to kill Proximo. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this sort of this uh, this gladiator trainer slash slave driver that he grew to be friends with. Um, but they they had to do a rewrite because Oliver Reed um, died like a month into filming. So oh, interesting. They had to, they had to, that they they had to heavily rewrite the whole um, Proximo character and Proximo role in this sure. film. Wow. Yeah, the the side characters are interesting to me because I I I I disagree with both of you actually. I, I disagree <laughs> with Tanner because I do think that their performances are what are good about these characters. Watching John Hansu and El- Oliver Reed and Richard Harris play these roles, I think shows their skill quite quite fantastically. <laughs> but I, I think bringing it back to what I said at the beginning, I I think that it's the simplicity of these characters of these characters that really leaves me wanting more. I'm seeing John Hansu and R- Russell Crowe be buddies. For a handful of scenes, and that's about it. Like I wanted more moments of 
their friendship, of their bond, but it feels like we're always skipping over these bonds happening. I really wish that we'd gotten to see them, not, as I said, not, not only have these, uh, these um, bonding moments, which, which they have a handful of, and I think are the be- absolutely the best moments of them. I like their- that scene um, when they're on the roof and they talk about like the, the, the family that they've lost, or uh, Jobu uh, like, hasn't, will probably never see his family again, so yeah. that's, that's a form of loss, but I like that scene. Yeah, and there there are a handful, but I think for me there aren't enough for me to want to like these. This is the friendship. This is why he's fighting for these people that that support him so much. And of course, he's a larger than life figure. That's why people are following him. But I, I wish that he was a little more personable, I guess, with the people that he was close to. Um, and I and I also wish that we just got to see a little more of his humanity when it outside of. I wish I my family was still alive, and by by subsequent the revenge of that because like I think the biggest disappointment for me was not being able to see uh, see Maximus come to fruition as as a gladiator initially. Obviously, the time the the movie's time is budgeted towards that second half when he is a popular um, gladiator, which I think is is some of the strongest stuff in the film. But we see him win this first battle. And then we cut, and it's a couple months later, and he's friends with Proximo, and and they're about to go to Rome. And I'm like, huh, I feel like there's a good scene and a half in there where Proximo's like, oh shit, okay, this guy's really good. And they talk for their first time, and you can see that friendship start to bloom. And you can see him sort of realize, oh, maybe I do have a skill with this, and maybe this can take me somewhere. But they skip over moments like that, and that really let left me wanting more even though this is a long movie i i really do think that the the time budget towards uh action sequences which as i said i think are good or the fluff scenes i really wish had been paired back and given more towards the character of maximus and his friendships with the people that he is close to that i feel like on the for the most part we just skip over the beginning of all of those Mm. yeah Mm. yeah see i don't agree i don't i don't agree at all I, i i think that Stuck to the to the Proximo character. First of all, I don't need to see Maximus become the best gladiator in, in the arena because we want we know who he is. You know, we know that he's he's uh, he's a he's got two he's got two weapons right here. Right, he doesn't even need that sword and shield to kill anybody. Right, <laughs> we we see him on that battle. We establish very early what his legacy is. We learn that oh, he's been basically sweeping across Europe, just like killing people. Right, in the name of Rome. We there's always this sort of tacit understanding in the audience's head that when, when Maximus wants to turn it on in that arena, he can, and no one's going to beat him. Mm-hmm. So I'm always sitting with that. And I do think that there's a great moment with, between him and Proximo when Proximo is like evangelizing, damn, we're going to be in the Colosseum. You ever seen the Colosseum mm-hmm. before? We're going to be in Rome, you know, because the emperor, the new, the new Caesar wants to watch all this happen. You kind of see that click in, in, in uh, Russell Crowe's mind. And he's like, Oh, you're telling me that this, that the new emperor is going to be there, right? It, it's 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 tacit, but that's not where the film is focusing. Because I don't think that's where the film needs to focus. Because the film knows that we know that Maximus is a badass, and that Maximus is trying to get into Rome for his own mm-hmm. reasons. We do get that sequence that I like. But to the side characters, I agree with Timo that first off, they serve to be that side characters. They serve to be supporting roles that boost up Maximus, and we do get compelling moments out of them. I I love when uh, Maximus has revealed himself and he's getting his food. And he thinks it was poisoned, and his friend goes to eat it. And he goes <laughs> and pretends to be choking, like he's being poisoned instead. But mm-hmm. they're just poking fun with him, right? And I like, I like hearing them call him. What do they call him? Commander, whatever they call him. General. Um, mm-hmm. General, right? General. 
we, we get these moments out of these guys and, it, and it's a simple arc, but seeing uh, Juba and the other friend go from just these random people oh, that Juba. I, I, I'm Juba. Okay, I, I might have. I think we've been saying. I early. think we've been saying like Jobu and, and and different other things. So yeah, so, Juba. Sorry, seeing Juba and the other and the other guy, they go from just being random, like random slaves there with him, to being his his comrades and be like, no, you gotta get the hell out of here, Maximus. We're gonna hold the line. And we see them fighting, and we see that the, the tall, burly guy gets sacked. He basically comes sacrificed to let Maximus escape, which ends up not mm-hmm. working out. It all services the plot. It services kind of the, the thrust of the movie, which I think speaks to the fact that the plot is really what's driving all of this, right? The pl- because the plot here has so many great moments, and I think we got to talk about them. I, I love that prison break sequence, or that's not really a prison break, but you know what I mean. They're coming, they're coming to kill Maximus. I know that the mm-hmm. plot's afoot. And then he's escaping through the tunnels, and you think he's going to get away, and then you come out, and you have, what's the 40, famous guy? fucking guys. Cicero. 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 And Cicero mm. is hung from the neck, immediately killed, and he's surrounded, and the camera cuts. You're like, goddamn, where's Maximus, right? Yeah, I think this on. film is so good about building tension and building these really exciting flashpoints throughout the narrative, whether it's that one, whether it's the moment where he's got the MF Doom helmet on, and he goes, take off the helmet. I want to see the gladiator. And you know, mm. and like you turn around, damn, face-to-face again, right? The film funnels us through all these places, and I think it knows which beats it needs to hit and which ones it can leave to us to get us to these exciting moments faster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, when I think, when I think about the exciting, the interesting moments, the moments that I'll remember, um, it, it's probably going to be a select handful of, of the fight sequences, um, which I think, but even then, I think they're just a little, a little bit hamstrung for my liking by the editing and stuff like that. Um, like, uh i like um that like first the reenactment of the battle in the coliseum when all the dudes have the when they're, when they're forming the phalanx and the they ramp the the chariot off of one of them and that one the one person gets cut in half by the the spike on the wheel and stuff like that but that those, those like two second moments are sandwiched in between whip penny edited together things that i that i can't see or understand what's going on so i just kind of lose interest in that in those moments or like the the tiger of gaul scene uh w- with the the undefeated um gladiator like i know he's gonna win and yeah it's kind of cool to see um maximus like have to dodge all these tigers and you you know it's rigged from the beginning but i don't know there, there's just something about how these um these scenes are edited and put together in the film that you know the, that leaves me disinterested there and then you know as we talked about with the performances i'm just not that hooked by them and i'm not that hooked by the writing and stuff like that so Hmm. I think yeah. I think the the whole editing thing it, it is just a sign of the times. It is just how the movies were made in this late '90s, early 2000s space. Like they just did. They, there's hey, a cinema, baby. Yeah, it's Tony just, Scott, uh, Michael Bay, Ridley Scott, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, you know, well, I think that it's a fair criticism to say, but that you know, if they were to make this movie again, I'm sure they wouldn't shoot it like that and they wouldn't edit it like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of like, you know, how the film is a product of its time and it shows that through the filmmaking methods, you know. Otherwise, I think the film, the cinematography is very beautiful. I really like a lot of the shots. You were talking at the beginning, Tanner, about the desaturated um, shots of the city and those, I felt like there's there's a couple times it uses very, very desaturated 
um, photography, I think, mm-hmm. for effect. And I think it is intentional, not just like a weird one off kind of thing. Like when we're going to Rome, it's kind of like it's a dark and not a night, not actually like a very nice place. And when he's mm-hmm. then moving to Elysium after he dies in the final battle, you know, that also uses that very, very um, desaturated look to kind mm-hmm. of separate the real world from this vision or this imagination that he's having. Um, and I think that the CGI, you said it was, it looked like it was a little like, I don't know, kind of painted or I think it is a painterly quality uh, I, when, are you, I'm not, I know that's not the exact word that you use, but it was something along um, those lines. Yeah, I, I, it, it's just, um, you know, it, it's an artist rendition is what I said. You know, mm-hmm. like they're very, they're, there clearly is sort of like the, a reasoning why they did this. I don't even know how to describe it, really. I don't know what kind of art style it is, but it's a very artistically inspired depiction of Rome. Like, nowadays, we would just get a completely CGI, like, one-for-one recreation of what Rome looked like in this time. But no, this time, it it almost seems like like a hand-drawn picture or painting or something Mm -hmm. like that. I do Um, happen... I was looking a little while ago at... I was, you know, I'm here over in England, and there's lots of museums and lots of art and all that hotty toddy stuff i was looking at like renaissance not renaissance like romantic era paintings and i think there is a very similar look to the way that like the light plays off of the clouds and comes from the sun Mm -hmm. and and you know maybe isn't a reference that your like average gladiator watcher is gonna get but i think i at least appreciated it because i was like this like I don't know, reflects its own like fictitiousness in a way. It it, hmm. it is using these other mediums and other portrayals of Rome in its own version of creating this, you know, this mythical history. Because it's Rome is a yeah. t- difficult thing to discern. It's, you know, the, tr- the truth was there, but then there's all the myth and all the legend of what was really happening at the time too. So yeah, I liked it. I thought well, it was did- beautiful. Um, and that uh, the vast majority of the CGI looked pretty good. It wasn't like, you know, like there's some Titanic shots where I'm like, whoa, boy, that's no, yeah, very yeah. CGI. But this one, I think it blended very nicely. Yeah, I didn't catch any of like copy and pasted people in the crowd at the Coliseum or anything like that. For for 2000, all very good, you know, hardly noticeable. I think probably because they didn't use it overtly or a whole lot. Um, I did see a quote from um, Ridley Scott that said they wanted to create a Rome of the imagination, which is maybe what it what inspired that. Uh, that that rendition of like the 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 Roman skyline, I guess you would call it, or the Roman city, uh, as we fly over it. Um, but uh, the the quote the, that quote was in relation to the fact that um, Ridley Scott actually uh, went to the Coliseum probably to do some preliminary scouting and stuff like that. He looked around and said, eh, "It's too small. I'll make it bigger." <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Which is just funny that. to me. Yeah, I I am I am very susceptible to overly edited action sequences i hate them mm. if if the if the born identity movies look terrible and they had a markedly awful impact on things i like that that sort of fast editing i've never been a fan of but i think here it's a little bit more tasteful and i find myself liking these action sequences frankly more than i expected to again after that first one which i think is just yucky when it's mm-hmm. when it's just like you just like you smeared the entire frame i don't like that at all but what I think is nice about the action sequences later is I think they better communicate the sense of chaos of battle we were alluding to at the beginning, right? And they do give you time to watch things happen. Like when that when that one woman gets cut in half by this like the thing sticking out the mm-hmm. side of the, the tire of the chariot, like it's her face and shoot, just her bottom torso and then it cuts. Like it feels like they the the cuts are in a way to where 
you see the gore, but it's never gratuitous. I think this is a gratuitous film. And I think that there's oh. a... I mean, I mean you do get to, to see a woman cut in half. There is... Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, Abram, yeah. but there is like a point where I distinctly noticed that there's just a blood spray from nowhere and like the foreground. Of, I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah, but there's a there's a way that you cut these sequences where everybody's bleeding out and you're, yeah. you're lingering yeah. on the sword, like being slammed through somebody's neck and they're like mm-hmm. blood choking out of their mouth and out of the back of their neck. Like the film mm-hmm. doesn't do that. And I think that some of the, the editing like weaves this line of the film. The film could never pass for PG-13, but I don't think no. it reaches the excesses of what another version of gladiator frankly if it had been made maybe now would have reached right so i found the yeah. sequences to be tasteful i also found them to be very exciting the tiger sequence i was saying out loud to myself go oh god there's another tiger there because the, the, they do a great job of like damn there's tigers in the floor everywhere i was walking very mm-hmm. carefully on my my way to have lunch today i'm like where might the tigers be at the floor here <laughs> where's the trap doors yeah. be, because i do think some of the filmmaking is quite inventive when we, we mm. when we cut to it we see like get like a russell crowe upskirt shot I'm like oh god another tiger yeah. is coming out of the floor right i think that's uh, really great or or the way he yells in the chaos and then we're putting the shields together to flip the chariot these are good moments i think there's such energy and then when that energy kind of dissolves to that final fight against um against Harvey or bardem right and then they're yep. and they're squaring off and the camera's still cutting but it's a little bit slower there's less frills there because these two guys punching at each other and you know in your heart that Russell Crowe's about to die, but he's, he's taken Joaquin Phoenix down with him. Right. I think mm-hmm. they used the film. The filmmaking is excessive for sure. 100% excessive, but I don't ever think mm-hmm. it's 150% excessive. And I think when yep. they scale it back to let you see certain things or let certain fights like that last one unfold a little bit of a less mediated fashion, it really works for me. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't have anything to say about, like, I think it's too excessive or things like that. I think well, you're a prude. We the, know that you don't like the violence. But but I am a prude. Yes. And uh, I, I I gasped and covered my eyes whenever I saw a, a, a drop of blood in this film. Uh, I didn't watch most of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I think I think, you know, if we're if we're winding down here, I think there's just I. I I, I was hoping to discover why I uh, why I couldn't just hop on board the gladiator train, the gladiator chariot, as it were, uh, during this film. I was hoping to discover that in, in talking about it for for Quest here, but I don't know. There's just something about this film that doesn't really click with me. I think it's the editing. I think it's you know maybe some some lackluster stuff in the performances for me in the script. Maybe I I, I just couldn't get on board with with, with like. N- n- 80 to 90 percent of this film and it, quite frankly uh, i am i am sad about that like this is one of the you know th- this is a very popular film it's one of the films of all time but unfortunately this one's gonna go in the uh, the tanner dykstra this film was overhyped for me pile hmm sure. yeah. yeah yeah well, i know i know did the uh, pirates of the caribbean uh theme song work for you in this film <laughs> you know, it really surprised me i'll tell you that much it that is the first note i have because it's, it's the battle theme yeah. for this movie and it's just the no it's not that it's not it's another not part of the theme song oh is, is, is it the dun, part dun, that dun, goes dun, 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 yeah that's what it is sorry sorry yeah it's the same thing I've tried to look into it. So um, Hans Zimmer did the score for this film. I, I also need to do the Winton Nam. So we'll get to we'll get that in a second. Hans Zimmer did the score for this film. One of the apparently one of the best selling film scores of all time for Gladiator. Ooh. Interesting. It's good. Um, and Hans Zimmer was a producer on 2003 Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, but hired uh, 
Klaus Bendelt, I think is how you maybe, if I'm remembering the name correctly. Um, so Hans Zimmer was a producer on Pirates of the Caribbean, but this Klaus guy wrote and composed the score. So I assume, I, I'm going to assume that Hans Zimmer like gave him permission to use that sort of that theme, that tune in the, in it, but it's just very uncanny, you know. Mm. Growing up, obviously, you know, kids are probably going to watch Pirates of the Caribbean before they watch Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, that association is there, I mean, even though this film came first. Oh, that's I, true. That's I a still great haven't point, seen it. No, of course, I recognize the Pirates yeah, of the Caribbean yeah. theme song. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's it's um, weird, but I think it works. Yeah. I like the score a lot. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's good. It's in the film a lot. The film is largely mm-hmm. underscored, but um, I think that the mixing and everything works really well. I can always hear what was going on. Um, I was just watching on my laptop and I just had the volume like cranked all the way. I just had it playing super loud, probably pissing off my neighbors. But who cares? That's the way you should watch a movie is turned up all the way. Yeah. Here's what I will say. Uh, Tanner, you're going to have to apologize for not doing the wins and outs earlier. Because then I could have said, but you know what else I think is going to be underscored? Gladiator. Then would have put in our numbers. Oh, it would have been a whole thing. Well. Imagine Abram, that reality. I apologize. Mm, well, I apologize. while Tanner is reading off the wins and noms, have a mm-hmm. score sheet, and we will we will roll right into it after we find out what the Academy thought of this film. Yes, the Academy gave this film Best Picture. Obviously, uh, they also gave uh, Russell Crowe uh, the Best Leading Actor Award. Old Rusty. Uh, this film won Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Visual Effects, and it was nominated for. Uh, Joaquin was nominated uh, for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Ridley Scott was nominated for Best Director. It was also nominated in Best Original Screenplay, uh, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, and Best Score. And speaking of the Best Score, let's see who has it. Oh, that, was, that was a good transition. Yeah, and that was good. Everyone got it typed in? I do have mine typed in. Okay. Yeah, maybe I do, maybe I don't. You'll never know. We'll find we'll out. We'll, in we'll know in three, a second. <laughs> two, one... Go. I'm waiting. Okay. There we go. Oh, nice and balanced. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> it is a very what? balanced score. The average, Abram. There are a lot of 7.8s. Disc- there are. <laughs> disappointed. He already spoiled it. The film got a 7.8. The point breakdown, Abram gave it a 9.2, followed by my 7.7, then Tucker's 7.6, and finally Tanner's 6.8. So we've got a lot of 7.8s. Yeah, we do. Okay, running through the three of them that there are, it's The Artist, Grand Hotel, and Rebecca. Very different mm-hmm. movies. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can I... Can Here's what I think we should do. We're going to start the mm-hmm. bidding? We should let me speak first before we start the bidding. Oh, there's something right, I want right. to say. And I was mm-hmm. going to say this is a final thought, but now I have to... Now i got to fight for the life of Gladiator. I have to be my own. I have yeah. to be Gladiator's Gladiator here for a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this movie reminds me a lot of Titanic. And something that our, our commenters, I think particularly it was John Tor 11, uh, said in his comment about Titanic, is he's like, you guys, you know, like the villain sucks. The characters here are not very good. But, but I think we were so captured in Titanic with everything other than that, right? And I find myself, the deeper we end a quest, the more times we reach a Titanic or a Sting or now a, one of these, I, uh, a gladiator, I come to think that sometimes the spectacle is what matters and it's spectacle that gets your ass in that in that scene right there's a reason Mm -hmm. why you go to see these marvel movies in theaters not only because you want to know you don't want to get spoiled and stuff but because they operate purely as spectacle right 
and that, and that's, there's a real, a real deep, genuine merit to spectacle. And there has been since Jaws, there especially has been since Jurassic Park. And to me, Gladiator is just really high fidelity, really well executed and interesting spectacle. And to me, sure. that yeah. counts for a whole hell of a lot. And that's why I think this film is an excellent movie. Although I totally grant what you guys are saying, these weaknesses about the characters of the script, but I'm not noticing them the same way I didn't notice them mm. in Titanic when I think that they are just as apparent there. So that's, that would be my piece. I personally vote to put it above all of these, but that's not really how we do things. But that's my, that's my yeah. piece before we vote. Hmm. Okay, well, we should start at the bottom because that is how we do things. Does this film, yes. who, who, say I, or raise your hand, if you do believe that this film <laughs> should go above Rebecca. Okay, there's three people. Well, okay, so it's going above Rebecca. Mm -hmm. That's 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 settled. Do you think it should go above Grand Hotel? Mm. Nope. I like Grand Hotel Sorry. a lot. <gasps> Perfect. Yes, exactly where I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, then we figured it out. It is going to go in between Grand Hotel and Rebecca for the in between Grand Hotel and Rebecca. So it's going at the 42nd spot on the list. Sure. Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? You know, why not? Yeah. Why not? Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's put on <laughs> not a lot to say. the chariot of spin and get those wheels turning. How about? Oh, I see. Put, the, put those two spin wheels together. Then you got yourself a chariot. Put some spikes on there and <laughs> slice somebody in half. Yeah. So we are on fire. I'll cherry fire. <coughs> All right. You guys remember that movie? Mm, I remember the no. score and nothing else. Yeah, like Evangelist <laughs> score. Yeah. <sighs> wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Wheel's deal. With my baby back ring song. Yeah, you no. were gonna, you were gonna do that. Whatever. No, that that's a that's it's already a dated reference. That, that song is from like the nineties, and it's a flash in the pan thing that people on Twitter will forget about tomorrow. The number which okay, we won't boys. forget is number six. Tucker, what mm -hmm. movie is that? Gosh, we're gonna be watching the nineteen eighty nine Best Picture winner, directed oh. by Bruce Beresford, starring Dan Aykroyd, uh, Jessica Chandy, and Morgan Freeman. We'll be watching. Giant Miss Daisy. Well, hold on a second. Hang on a second, Tucker. Are I, you telling me? No, I, no back I might up be a second. <laughs> clear the field. Clear the field. Are you telling me that Dan Aykroyd is in this picture? He's in this picture. He absolutely is. Holy! I, I have seen this film, God. and he plays uh, Jessica Tandy's son. Oh. Haven't we all seen this movie already and reviewed it? It's called Green Book. It's called Green Book. Oh, yeah. oh, he oh. got him. Oh, 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 the low hanging fruit joke about this movie. <laughs> oh, I guess Green Book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but speaking of you know oh, great scores, oh, that's yes, the I score. love the score for Dragon Miss Daisy. The Me too. Score it's one of my like favorites. The only real thing I know about this movie, like I know about the basic premise of like Morgan Freeman has to drive around. It's Miss a Hans Daisy. Zimmer score, boys. Oh, it oh is. really? It is. And then How long has Hans been in the game? Dude, this baby? guy is too prolific, man. He just makes. He, he is too I, prolific. I was looking at his 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 filmography. It's kind of insane. His uh, but also this is one of his this, this early film, film songography. Uh, his he he started in 1984. So this is pretty early on oh, in his career, okay. all things considered. But he also did the score for Rain Man, and I'm sure maybe at least another Best Picture. 
uh, well, Gladiator. Yep. He's not just talking about yep. that. Dune. Um. Oh well, that didn't win best picture. Oh fucking no, Dune should have won it. best picture. Twelve Years a Slave. Oh hey. Um right. and well, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. No, that didn't. <laughs> well, oh, we got an alarm going off. Some, someone's saying um, it's time. It's time to finish. Well, okay. So who's seen this movie and who's not? Because I haven't seen it. I have not seen it. Tucker has seen, seen it. Abram, you have seen it. As no, as I have usual. not. Oh, okay. As usual. Well, we but will watch we will, it. We, we will. Yes. Uh, and come back to you. I, I, I do believe, though, we're going on a little bit of a break for a couple weeks. Yes. Um, Abram is going off and on vacation, and I am sort of still currently on vacation and still doing quests. So we're going to take a little summer recess. Not very long, um, just a little while. But we'll, one, week. one week. We'll be back with more Quest for the Bestest after our short break. We'll be back to talk about Driving Miss Daisy. We'll all hop in the car together and go for a ride. Oh, yeah. Um, and, vroom, vroom. and discuss the film. So... Thanks for talking about Gladiator. We did actually have to do duke it out in the in the I, I prophesized correctly. I didn't know that that was going to happen at the beginning of the episode that we were going to have to engage in mental combat. But we did. And we've all lived to tell the tale. So I thank God about that. Um, until next time, this has been fun. We'll see you then. Peace.